This is Everything Energy. Produced by the International Energy Agency. Hello, I'm Tanya Dahan and welcome back to Everything Energy, a podcast created by the International Energy Agency that looks at current energy issues as well as the future of the global energy system. In this episode of the podcast, you're going to hear from Timur Gul, head of the Energy Technology Policy Division at the IEA, who earlier this week chatted to Jad Mawad about technology, innovation and clean energy transitions. This year, the IEA relaunched the Energy Technology Perspective Series, analysis which helps us to understand the opportunities and challenges that come with different, new and emerging clean energy technologies and why they are essential for improving energy and environmental policymaking. You can find this analysis along with the ETP Clean Energy Technology Guide, which assesses over 400 individual technology designs on our website at iea.org. Hi, Timur. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Jeff. Great to be here. So today we're going to talk about uh, innovation, specifically uh, clean energy technology innovation. Um, Many countries in recent weeks and months have announced very ambitious net zero goals for 2050, um, and a lot of the pathways to get there will involve technology and clean energy innovation. Uh, one of the specific, very interesting areas for us is that at the IEA, we have relaunched recently uh, the Energy Technology Perspective publication or publications um, after a two-year gap. Um, can you tell us why we at the IEA care so much about understanding energy technology? Energy technology is really at the heart of anything that is happening in uh, in the energy sector. And when you're looking at um, the uh, clean energy ambitions that uh, many governments, many corporates have set themselves, in particular with a view to reaching net zero emissions over the next coming decades, deploying clean energy technologies will be critical to the achievement. There is a lot of reason, of course, to be hopeful. We have seen great success stories in the energy sector over the last uh, decade or two. Think of solar PV, the successes that we have seen there, cost reductions, etc. Think about on and offshore wind, think about the cost reductions for batteries that have given uh, rise to the hope that um, passenger transport can be electrified um, over the next coming years. But if you want to reach net zero ambitions, and if you really want to go to to a world where the energy sector doesn't emit any CO2 at all anymore and on a net basis, then we will need much broader efforts than that, much broader deployment of clean energy technologies. And that's why we've been trying over the last uh, few years to look more in depth into the role that new and emerging technologies, clean energy technologies, could be playing in reaching net zero ambitions goals. Great. So this is really, for us, a way to understand ambition, but also ability to get there. And really, 2050 is essentially around the corner when it comes to research and development, when it comes to uh, weighing the size and scale of the energy infrastructure, but it's not just we're not just talking about energy here, right? We're talking about all of the systems around us, like transport, like heating, like industry, that uh, really uh, consume energy as well. Uh, and so, can you just paint a little bit the sort of a the size of the system that we are contending with? Because one of the first things we need to address is existing infrastructure, the stuff that is around us today. Yes, uh, energy is obviously at um, energy first and foremost is a good thing. Um, it provides us uh, heat in our homes. It provides us electricity uh, and all these um, kind of basic services that we need in uh, our 
uh, daily lives. But today, um, energy is the main contributor to uh, global CO2 emissions. And these CO2 emissions from energy production and use, they come from a very big variety of different um, sources. They come from the cars we drive, the trucks that deliver our goods. Um, they come from the planes um, uh, that uh, we, have, uh, we are using. They come from um, the way we produce heat and electricity for our homes and factories. They come from um, the way we produce cement, uh, iron and steel, all these kind of important materials that we need uh, for our economies. And the problem with these emissions is that the facilities uh, that are associated with them are very, very long-lived. They can be in place, um, they are in place now, they emit uh, a lot of CO2 emissions, the main contribution to um, global CO2 emissions, but um, these facilities that we have built over the last couple of decades, they will be around for decades to come because they have very, very long lifetimes. Right, so basically another way of putting this is that the scale is to 2050 where you have two essential challenges. You have the existing infrastructure and dealing with assets that are that have long lifetimes, and then building new clean assets. So let's let's sort of parse them uh, a little bit. Uh, one interesting kind of uh, tidbit here is that today's infrastructure will still be emitting carbon down the road. And so one of the insights that uh, you have is that you cannot reach net zero without fully decarbonizing these existing infrastructures. So walk us through maybe one or two examples of what, where, where is the scale of the problem the largest and what are the, some of the technology solutions that could be applied? So the lifetimes that are associated with uh, different um, uh, means to consume energy today, they are very, very um, different, of course, uh, across the energy sector. But two areas really stand out here. One is uh, power generation. Uh, when you think about the assets that are um, operating in the power sector and you just think of coal-fired power plants, I think it's most obvious. The lifetime associated with these assets is 50 years and uh, more. And so the facilities that we have in place today, they can continue to operate well below, well beyond uh, 2050 unless uh, we find ways uh, of uh, dealing with them. But a similar story in uh, many of the heavy industry sectors. Um, think of iron and steel, think of cement. Uh, think of uh, the chemical industry here. The lifetime of these assets is easily somewhere around 30 to 40 years, but they can obviously operate for much longer um, than that. So the emissions from the assets that we have today, many of which are actually very young in terms of the age, um, they can um, be around for many decades to come uh, and well beyond 2050. Right. And I think one of the, the age aspects here is also very fundamental because in some cases, the difference in between some countries that are the heavy emitters and the difference between countries that are um, less so is that also the age of the assets is quite different. And so maybe in China and in India, the average age is between 10 and 20 years, depending on, on what uh, industry we're talking about. Yes, absolutely. Uh, think of iron and steel production. Uh, iron and steel production today is responsible for around 7% of global energy and process related um, CO2 emissions. Uh, the assets um, uh, are, uh, can, can have a typical lifetime of around uh, 40 years or so. But when you look at the global fleet today, the vast majority of the fleet um, is uh, well younger than that uh, typical lifetime. China um, is roughly home to uh, around 50% of uh, global um, iron and steel production. And our estimate is um, that it's been uh, roughly around 13 years um, since these facilities have um, been either built, new constructed, uh, 
or recently been refurbished. So they can uh, actually keep operating for many decades to come. Very similar picture in the cement industry, very, very similar as well in the chemical industry where you have various different um, uh, products. Um, but in all these kind of sectors, the lifetime of the, or the average age of the facilities compared with the typical lifetime is uh, quite young. Okay, so before we get into sort of the solutions that are available or the challenges to get to these solutions, um, let's let's also talk about the power sector, which you mentioned. So when we talk, when we think about decarbonizing or reducing emissions, immediately we, we think about the power sector. Um, and the power sector contributes for about uh, 40% of energy-related CO2 emissions. So very important to tackle, but not enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you just... Uh recap what I said earlier, emissions come from just many, many more different sources than just power generation. If you think about um, the current CO2 balance at a global scale, roughly 55% of uh, emissions come actually from industry, from transport and uh, from buildings. So decarbonizing power is the essential key step towards reaching net zero emissions, building on the technology progress that we have seen in recent years for renewables and uh, other technologies for um, nuclear, etc. So it's a key part of reaching net zero emissions and decarbonizing the power sector as early as possible. But in and by itself, this will not be sufficient to uh, reach net uh, zero emissions in the long term. You need to find technology solutions for transport, for industry and uh, for the building sector. Um, can you talk a little bit about electric cars in this context? Uh, there's always this thought that uh, part of the pathway to decarbonize will have to go through electrification of transport. Shouldn't that be enough? Electrification of transport is uh, certainly a, a key element um, for uh, decarbonizing passion, passenger cars in particular, but also other areas from two-wheelers to buses to trucks. So it's an important part of uh, decarbonizing um, transport. And uh, there is no, no credible pathway towards reaching net zero emissions without building on the recent successes for electrification of uh, passenger cars in particular. But again, it's part of the equation. It's part of the, the overall equations. And um, you need to find technology solutions for aviation as well, for shipping as well, where um, electricity may not be, uh, in all cases, um, the uh, best possible technological path pathway moving forward. OK, so so that now you've sort of set the scene. Uh, that's the challenge, 2050. This is what. We these are some of the sectors that need to be uh, addressed. Can it be done with what we have today in our toolkit? We can go a long way with the technologies that we have. Right? Um, renewables, nuclear, these are technologies that can help us with the power sector here. The focus will, will be rather on how you operate the system moving forward. Um, we know by and large which technologies otherwise could be helping us in various different parts of the energy sector. Um, electrification we already discussed as a possible means to decarbonize end-use sectors. Um, there is obviously sustainable bioenergy as another key pillar. There is hydrogen, there is CCS. All of these kind of technologies are very important um, towards reaching net zero emissions, towards tackling the emissions in these end-use sectors that I referred to earlier. But it is wrong to think that just because we know the technologies, we already have them. In fact, our analysis suggests, and it's a first-of-a-kind analysis that we have done in our uh, revamped Energy Technology public uh, Perspectives publication this year, our analysis um, based on more than 400 
uh, new and emerging uh, clean energy technologies suggest that for reaching net zero emissions by the year 2070, as in our sustainable development scenario, one third of the emission savings, one third, would need to come from technologies that today are either at prototype or at demonstration stage, so they're not yet commercially available. And if you look into reaching net zero emissions even earlier, by the year 2050, then almost half of the emission uh, savings would uh, need to come from these type of technologies. Okay, that, so that's great. Let, let's dig into that, because I think this is where this new analysis uh, that you produced, that uh, you and your colleagues have produced this year, um, is quite groundbreaking in that respect. And you mentioned these 400 technologies. I invite our listeners to to check on our website. There's a very detailed sort of um, guide to all of these technologies. Um, the the the, uh, the the technologies exist, but you said that they are not they are pre-commercial. Does that mean that they're still in the lab? Does that mean that they're in uh, prototype phase? Uh, can you just walk us through sort of the range of options that we have? Because depending on one how one hears you, a third of the emission savings coming from technologies that are pre-commercial could sound like something that is quite daunting. And I think I think what would be interesting in the next step is how do you accelerate that that de deployment? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I understand how this sounds counterintuitive at times. No, we all are used to um, hear about the success stories for renewables, for electric cars, as I mentioned them earlier. I mean, these are um, important reasons to be hopeful. Um, we all read the energy news in which there's Almost on a daily basis, you find something about a new hydrogen-based uh, uh, steel production facility, about hydrogen trucks, uh, electric trucks, all these kind of things um, give you reason to believe that there, is many, there are many new technologies around the corner. But these are, in practical terms, these are very often, these are prototype or demonstration stage type of technologies. There is no guarantee that um, they will come to the market today or tomorrow. In fact, in most of the cases, there is still a lot of innovation effort um, that will be required in order to bring these kind of technologies into the market and uh, scale them up. And I'm glad you're mentioning our uh, clean energy technology guide with the 400 technologies. We have been working together with our technology collaboration programs of um, the IEA, which uh, is a, a program around 38 uh, different technology collaboration areas where we try to work with them to understand where are the technologies actually in the development pipeline? What are the key players in the market? What are the performance targets um, that, uh, that are out there? And when can we expect by government announcements, by corporate announcements, by researchers for these technologies to come into the market? And this is the foundation of the analysis. When I said earlier about one third of the CO2 emission savings, additional CO2 emission savings required to reach net zero by the year 2070, this is built on the announcements that have been made. It is based on what we can expect from the technologies um, that we are talking about and that we are reading about almost on a daily level in the, in the energy news. Yeah, there's a very interesting sort of uh, uh, narrative here about innovation cycles. So uh, one of the examples you give is the, uh, the story of solar. Um, walk us through that a little bit, that solar started in 1950s in US labs, it took them 30 years to get on the IEA's radar of energy balances, and then another 30 years to get to what one percent um, of uh, the market of a one percent market share. So that's a 
two 30-year cycles to get to a 1% market share. Is that a regular normal cycle? Is that something you're seeing now in other clean energy technologies? Yeah, it's a specific cycle, certainly for um, solar PV. And um, it is indeed true that um, according to our research, our analysis, it was these two times 30-year cycles until solar PV made it from the US uh, laboratories to reach 1% of uh, global electricity generation uh, just a couple of years ago. And so the aggressive deployment that we are currently seeing, the massive scale up, the cost reductions, they go back decades in terms of uh, technology deployment. There is no one single number that you can adopt to these uh, innovation cycles. We have seen even longer ones, and we find them in our, uh, we identified them in our uh, report, um, such as uh, in uh, various different uh, heavy industries. There have been shorter ones, um, such as for LED lights, for example, where these cycles were um, somewhere in the order of 10 to 20 years, maximum 30 years in uh, some of the uh, cases. So um, the technology uh, innovation cycles can be very, very different um, by technology, but we can learn uh, many uh, things from looking at the past and from the various different success stories here. Um, uh, there, is a, there are lessons for policymakers to be learned in order to make sure that the innovation cycles for these critical technologies that we will need for reaching net zero emissions by the year 2050 or, um, or uh, later um, will be as short as they possibly can be. So you've also done an analysis of research and development spending mm. uh, associated to that. So mm. what can you tell us about the level of spending and is it sufficient to get us to our uh, net zero uh, targets? So first, it's important to recognize that um, R&D is not only about spending. Um, the framework that you need to put in place, the R&D policy framework that you need to put in place goes beyond just um, spending. But when you look at the reality of uh, public energy R&D spending today in technologies, technology areas that are actually priority areas for reaching um, net zero emissions, and I'm thinking here of uh, electrification, as I mentioned earlier, I'm thinking of CCUS, sustainable bioenergy, hydrogen, then the reality of these um, of the funding in these technology areas is that it's well below that um, of uh, other areas. Today, around $25 billion of um, global public energy R&D spending goes to low carbon technologies, of which around $17 trillion goes into applied research in specific technology areas. And when you look at the share that uh, electrification, hydrogen, CCS, sustainable bioenergy has in this um, uh, cake, then it's only one quarter um, of um, the total. One quarter compared to roughly half for low carbon power generation and one quarter for energy efficiency. So very important, of course, to continue R&D spending in low carbon power generation, in energy efficiency, but it's a bit strange to see that uh, it, the, the um, amount of R&D spending that goes into critical technology areas where we don't have the technology solutions necessarily ready yet is so much below that of other areas. So what would you like to see? Now, the, the IEA is a government sort of policy organization. We, we, we advise our uh, governments. What are the sort of top three recommendations you would have that you have been actually presenting that would sort of give you confidence now that we've seen all of these ambitions being sort of put on the table and here the, the picture is changing quite quickly. Um, what gives you sort of some level of comfort perhaps uh, that you can put these levels, these recommendations forward? So I think as, 
as you highlighted earlier, and as we said in the beginning of our talk, there are various different areas to tackle for reaching net zero emissions. It is about tackling existing energy infrastructure. It's also about scaling up deployment in these various different um, technologies that we do have in the market yet that are at early stage of adoption that can benefit from an additional policy push from renewables to electric cars, from electric cars to hydrogen fuel cell cars and others. Um, so it is very important for policymakers to recognize um, the relevance of dealing with these um, kind of issues. But on the innovation side of things, um, we feel that it's very important to understand energy R&D as part of the energy policy, uh, energy R&D um, policy as part of the broader energy policy um, framework. What we have identified in our um, analysis is that there are a couple of um, key principles that can help to fast track uh, clean energy um, innovation. Uh, among them, uh, for example, to uh, raise obviously public R&D spending, uh, market-led in increase, market-led private innovation, finding ways to address all the links in the value chain. A technology never develops in isolation. It's part of a broader ecosystem of um, technologies. Um, and uh, it's important for policymakers to keep that um, entire value chain uh, in mind. And then it's all about, as well, making sure that the technologies do not, when they're getting into the market, do not um, uh, get deployed in isolation, but are seen as part of the enabling infrastructure that they will also need uh, moving forward. So in your analysis, you've also produced a, a fast innovation case. So basically stretching or pushing as hard as you can to reach these targets by 2050. And here, the ambition, the level of ambition and the level of innovation push um, has to be unrelenting. Um, and you give a, a few really interesting examples of what that would look like. Um, can you just maybe share with us sort of what, what, that, what would that look like to be able to get there? Yeah, no, it's, these numbers can sound daunting at times, so, um, but it's not meant to be daunting. What uh, obviously you can, um, what we've tried to analyze in our um, report is just how far could innovation get us. So we had to stretch the assumptions um, beyond um, uh, the innovation cycles that we have seen anywhere in energy um, history. So um, what we have um, done is we try to look into um, what are the additional technology and innovation needs if we were to try to uh, reach net zero emissions by the year 2050. And there are um, a couple of things that you need to take into consideration. First, you need to broaden your technology base. Right? Um, so we had to include technologies in the assessments that are currently at small prototype or even laboratory stage in order to have as many clean energy technologies available as possible to reach um, um, net uh, zero emissions. Um, but what we then additionally had to um, assume is that uh, for reaching net zero emissions by the year uh, 2050, all of the technologies, all of the critical technologies would need to be available within the next six years before, aggressive, before being aggressively deployed around twice as quickly as what the current government and corporate targets um, actually uh, would uh, suggest. Okay, and so what are your next steps now? What are you going to be looking at for 2021? Yeah, so we have done quite comprehensive work this year on uh, clean energy technologies, understanding all these innovation cycles, the deployment needs, etc., for reaching net zero emissions in the long run. And we'll obviously be looking to build up on that uh, moving forward. We will continue to work with our technology collaboration programs um, to get uh, even better understanding 
of uh, some of um, the critical technologies out there. We have a new initiative that we launched uh, this year today in the lab, Tomorrow in Energy, where we are looking to highlight some of these key critical um, technology um, uh, projects that are going on in various different laboratories uh, around the world. And we are certainly going to continue that um, uh, moving forward. Second, we are um, absolutely going to update our clean energy technology guide, um, the guide that has these 400 and more different uh, clean energy technologies that are currently at very different stages of deployment. We are getting a lot of input, a lot of interest, in fact, into um, this particular work where um, people are looking to provide us with additional information. And so we're really keen to, um, to update this further, uh, bring it um, forward um, with um, our uh, different uh, member governments and beyond in order for them to get a better understanding of their technology and innovation ecosystem um, in their own country as well as uh, beyond. And then we are going to be launching a new report next year, the Global Hydrogen Review, in which we are going to be looking a little beyond targets, beyond um, the objectives that uh, governments have set themselves um, that uh, are required by uh, low carbon transition pathways to reaching um, net zero emissions. And we're going to try to understand what's actually going on in uh, practice. What is the real-world progress that we are seeing in uh, some of uh, these, uh, uh, in, in, in the hydrogen space, in uh, some of these other uh, critical technology areas um, that we have identified for reaching net zero emissions. Great. Uh, thank you very much for all of this. So clearly there's no single or simple way to achieving these targets, and you'll be looking at many or most of them. So that's very comforting. Um, I invite our listeners to, to check out the uh, Today in the Lab um, a series uh, that is uh, on our website to visit the Energy Technology Perspective report, which is available online and for free, as well as the technology guide that you referenced. Uh, and I'd like to thank you again, uh, Timur, for joining us for this episode. Thank you, Jed, for having me. Thank you. <laughs>